The following podcast is a Jill Divine Media production. I do not write Fall in Love, Have Children, Stay Put, Save the Planet from the point of view of a sermon. I write it from the point of view of a bemused, struggling grandfather who's working on the child care and getting through it and realizing it's so meaningful and so tiring at the same time and able to share the love by telling the stories of love. It isn't trying to make people be like you or change their lives. It's to show people who haven't perhaps thought about this. The good stuff is not some moral statement on family life. The good stuff is the shared stories. Two Kids in a Career is brought to you by Blondin Real Estate. They're a family-owned boutique-style brokerage with over 40 years of experience serving the counties that surround St. Louis. See the properties they have to offer at BlondinRealEstate.com. That's BlondinRealEstate.com. Hi there, and welcome to Two Kids in a Career. I'm Jill Devine. As an entrepreneur, wife, and mama, the daily grind of trying to build a business while taking care of kids and trying to maintain a healthy connection with my hubby, it's a lot. With this podcast, you're going to hear candid conversations with other moms, parenting experts who can share their knowledge and insight, or you'll just hear me rambling to get it all out. There's going to be tears, there's going to be laughter, but most importantly, there will be support. Take a listen and connect with me so we can grow and learn from one another. This is Two Kids and a Career. Welcome to episode 103 of Two Kids in a Career. I think this is just perfect timing because with Valentine's Day that just happened a couple days ago, this week, I just can already feel the love. Like I feel, I don't know if this sounds so cheesy or not, but like I felt the love in just the initial email and I'm excited to welcome Frank Schaefer to the podcast. How are you today? I am very well. And as I told you moments before we started this, I put my little dog Zip, who I've had for about four and a half years, a little mixture of Dachshund and Chihuahua, my my best buddy out out of the office. And I said, well, you know, he understands podcasts. So yeah, he got it <laughs> off with a, a little bit of sorrow, but, um, you know, most of the time he's sitting here on my lap while I write. So he, he, he can, he can be a, by himself for a little bit. Well, that affirmed the love for me when we were just talking, we were, yeah, talking about how you had to take care of him. And you said that he like lives in your robe whenever you write. And I Thought, okay, yep, this is definitely we're feeling the love fest here. So yeah, well, we get the whole package because about every three and a half years when I wear the last one out, my wife, who is an incredible creator designer, Taylor, makes me these fantastic terry cloth shoulder to floor robes. And oh. since I'm self-employed and write every morning, I get up at about three in the morning to write. And Zip sleeps right next to me. He gets inside my robe and has a second sleep while I work for three or four hours. And so it's like, I, I don't know if I could actually write anymore without his little nose poking out, getting some air and and um, occasional exchange of kisses. And that's basically how I write my books. I know it's a little personal and upfront, but that's that. I love it. If you're not feeling warm and fuzzy right now, then you should probably check your heart <laughs> because that's amazing. Yeah. Well, you just said that you write books. You are an author, and I have you on today because we want to talk specifically about your latest book, Fall in Love, Have Children, Stay Put, Save the Planet, Be Happy. Uh, all great advice right there, right in the title. So talk me through it. Talk me through how this came about because it's, it's a pretty cool story how you started writing this 
well before the pandemic hit hmm. and then it morphed into what it is. So yeah, yeah let's go through well, it. You know, I, I've got about maybe, I don't know, 13, 14 books out there in print. I started writing seriously to back up a little bit with my first novel that was published in 1990 called Portofino, the name of a town in Italy, work of humor about growing up as the son of evangelical fundamentalist Christian American parents who were living in Europe and you vacationed in Italy. And what do you know, it followed a lot of my own life. Um, the background that I come from is very unlikely in the sense that I'm an American who grew up in Switzerland. My dad was not a businessman or a banker or a UN official in Switzerland. He was a missionary, go figure. You know, you don't usually think of missionaries in Switzerland. No. Uh, a wash in tea rooms and good restaurants, um, not some far-flung part of the world. Um, my parents became internationally famous in the evangelical world in the 1970s and 80s. And when you say that and no one's ever heard of them, it's kind of like NASCAR drivers. You know, unless you're into the yeah. sport, you don't know who they right. are. Right. And, and someone looks at you like you've never heard of this guy, you know, um, but uh, that's how it was. So they were in, in the first part of my childhood. I lived in a, in a pastor's house. We didn't have a car. He didn't have a secretary. You know, it was all casseroles and a little more meat on the weekends. And by the time I was in my mid to late teens, my father was writing books which were selling millions of copies. And I was on the road with him, believe it or not, in the late evangelist Jerry Falwell's private jet that he lent dad and me to go on a speaking tour. And I was my dad's kind of nepotistic sidekick. So how's that for an arc of a story? Right. So after I fled the evangelical movement and, and you know, what you might call right-wing American politics, um, I started writing my own books, uh, and those began with the works of fiction, Portofino, Saving Grandma, uh, Zermatt, and other books. And then I wrote some nonfiction, and I did a, a memoir when I was about in my mid-50s, um, 20 odd years ago uh, called Crazy for God, which then was picked up by all sorts of people, including Terry Gross on Fresh Air and a lot of publicity. And a number of my books have been bestsellers. Okay, fast forward to the present. My son, John, who served in the Marine Corps, came home in one piece from Afghanistan at the beginning of that war, went to the University of Chicago, settled in my neighborhood, and has had three kids. And my wife, Jeannie, and I, who, by the way, will celebrate our 52nd uh, anniversary this year, having gotten Happy pregnant. Anniversary. Yes, thank you. Having gotten pregnant as teenagers when we were 17 and 18. So what were the odds of that working out? <laughs> right. Um, we have become full-time child caregivers to his three kids while he and his wife went to work. So that started 13 years ago. And now the youngest, Nora, is in school. She's seven and a half. So childcare is I do a school pickup every day. I cook her a snack. I read her books. We play. I have a little studio for art and craft projects in the barn next to my house that I've refurbished. And we've had that life. Okay. Out of that life came this book, Fall in Love, Have Children, Stay Put, Save the Planet, Be Happy. At the beginning, as an investigation by an old guy who had not spent enough time with his own children on how I was reparenting myself and doing such a better job with these grandchildren than I ever did with my own. And so I had a lot of questions about why that was, how you learn through life experience, especially in childcare and family relationships, marriage, these other things. That was the first thread. And then a second thread started because some sciencey friends of mine, particularly a number of women who teach at the university level who have been friends over the years, 
read that manuscript and said, look, you're really onto something here, but you need to do more because there is an entire science that has developed. And the way I'll sum it up is this. Evolutionary psychology and biology used to teach that it was all about the survival of the 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 fittest, the toughest, the most, you know, competitive, power hungry creatures survive. And now the entire science has changed, they were telling me, and indeed it has, and I talk about it in the book. And the new bottom line of evolutionary psychology is that it's about the survival of the friendliest, the most mm-hmm. cooperative, the people who are into personal relationships way ahead of career or money or power or back in our ancestral village when we were evolving, the people who shared their food, the the primates that took care of each other, these were the ones that survived. What fell by the wayside was the kind of selfish individualism we, we idealize these days a lot in America, ironically. And so a second thread started. And that was, in addition to the stories about taking care of my grandchildren and fall in love, have children, stay put, save the planet. Why does this old guy enjoy this more than anything he's ever done? The reason is right there in science today, because we we all evolved as caregivers. And one of the points I make in my book is there's no such thing as female caregiving and male caregiving or non-binary caregiving. We're all caregivers. And either we play with that and find joy in our lives or we deny it. And when I say caregivers, I don't just mean biological parents. This book is just as much for someone who decides not to pair bond, have any kids at all. Uh, it's it's about a general topic of love being important in our lives. Children can be anybody. Right now, Jill, and I'm not trying to be cute here, you're in the in the position of being my mom this morning. Because what do mothers do? They they take something a child makes and they take a magnet, and they stick it up on the refrigerator or the hood of the stove, and they say, look look what my kid did. And this morning, you're letting me do that with my book. So right now, you are my caregiver. So when I talk about have children, it isn't just biological children. It's a mindset that sees ourselves as the givers and the receivers of care. And then lastly, the whole stay put, save the planet part started during the beginning of COVID. And so I rewrote the book because something weird happened. I called in the book for people to voluntarily take a time out from our busy career oriented lives and stop for a minute, take a deep breath and just say, what am I doing with my life in terms of what will wind up as most important to me? And I was making the case through this study of my own experience as a grandfather, the love I have for my wife, the love I have for my grandchildren, this incredible fulfillment. I wanted to share that and say, look, if you think career alone or money or position is what you should be driving for, you have defined the word success wrong. If you really want to know the success that lasts from the point of view of this 70-year-old grandfather doing full-time childcare, it's not the high points of career, it's the high points of personal relationships. And if you can make those work in your life, then you are on to something that you will not regret. Everything else will fade away. Take it from me, been there, done that. So that became the, the next thread of the book. And then weirdly, two years ago, two and a half years ago, whatever it is, COVID comes along, forces our entire country and indeed much of the planet to take exactly the time out that I had been theoretically talking about, like some huge social experiment as if the gods suddenly said, okay, let's try this. Everybody gets a timeout. You've all been very naughty. <laughs> Go sit on the stairs for 20 minutes and think about it. Um, and, and so COVID gave us a weird opportunity. And then studies started coming out, which are in the book, where a huge proportion, for instance, of young fathers who had not done much childcare 
are sent home because of COVID. Now they are doing the childcare. And a lot of them are discovering they like that life. And then when things, quote unquote, get back to normal, they're saying, gee, we want to still work from home. And all the benefits of not just being career, 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 we want to re- animate our lives and reorganize ourselves in that direction. And of course, that's an ongoing experiment. So that was the last thread of the book. How does it become a blueprint for a post-COVID resurgence of what I'll call real family values as opposed to fake family values where we actually care for families and kids? And of course, that includes paid paternity leave and a whole legislative agenda that I advocate toward the end of the book. Long answer. I'm looking at this. I talked for 11 minutes and 14 seconds. You're saying to yourself, what the hell am I into with this guy? No, not at all. You just got the spiel, okay? I'm going to hit pause for just a minute in this conversation to talk to you about one of the sponsors of the podcast, Blondin Real Estate. Not too long ago, I overheard somebody talking about how they found the home of their dreams and they weren't even looking. They happened to stumble across some property that they found out about before it hit the market. And that's really how people are getting the homes of their dreams. It's really how people are able to sell their home to get into the next place that they're going or to move. And that's what Blonde and Real Estate offers. They offer this awesome feature where you go to blondeandrealestate.com, you sign up for their weekly email where you learn about properties before it hits the market. So you're getting basically the inside scoop before anybody else. And that is what is selling homes. That's what's selling properties. That's what, it's just the way to go right now. So head to blondinrealestate.com, put in your email address. You'll get a weekly email. You'll, you'll know before anybody else. And it's awesome. I look forward to that email every week and I'm just scrolling along. And then I'm like, Ooh, I need to know about this. Click a little bit more information. Voila. And so that could be you as well. Finding that dream home when you're not even looking. So blondinrealestate.com. Let's get back into this week's conversation. Well, you know, I have had some experts on to talk about those things, about the paid um, maternity leave, well, the paid parental leave and the importance of that and the importance of the father being there, the importance of everyone being there. So 100%, I am a huge, huge advocate for that because I see in my own family, I see that being the... uh, how do I put this? Like my husband's the better player Mm. with the girls. Like he can just sit down and play and like, that's where he excels with them. And while I like to play, I also am, you know, one of those people that have a million different things going through my mind and I, I excel in different ways. So I appreciate that. Oh, so, so, so much. Mm. What I was thinking about, though, when you were talking and most people that know me on, um, I mean, probably could figure it out on the surface level, but really know me, know that I am a caregiver. I am a lover. I want to help. That is what I do. I, I often put most people before my own self and it's something I'm working on, but that is like what drives me is love is just 
taking it all in and just being kind to one another. And and so when you were talking, like, obviously, I am sitting here going, amen, I yeah. love this. <laughs> and then I'm thinking about those individuals that are not wired that way. And how do you get into their heads? How do you get into their brains to say, okay, here's something we need to add to your life. Here's something that we think that you can do. I mean, because I I mean, I don't think you can change my personality and say that you no longer can be a kind, loving person. I, I don't know. It, it, do you understand where I'm going there with all so. that? <laughs> well, and I think the question about changing minds is good. And it's one I've thought about because obviously having spent six years writing Fall in Love, Have Children, Stay Put, Save the Planet, Be Happy, I have been thinking about, well, who's my reader? And is that reader, he, she, they, someone who will be open to my ideas, even if they feel at the time they start my book that they've kind of figured things out? And I think there's proof out there that people are open, and I'll tell you what that is, and that is the statistics on loneliness and unhappiness. If you ask mm -hmm. the question to, shall we say, the cohort in our culture that says, meaning is all about shareholder profits, position in a company, how much I earn, and my job title. Um, if you come back to that cohort and say, well, how's it all working out for you? When you look at the statistics on loneliness, on even teen suicide, I mean, really stark stuff, it is dramatically not working out. So the first thing, let's say, is whatever the assumptions of today's society are about relationships, we know it's not working out. For instance, there's a startling statistics. Every year, there have been a study of happiness by various foundations like Pew and other people. And even post the feminist revolutions of the 70s and 80s and the Me Too movement and people having more agency who are women, more rights, more respect in the culture, more redress for abuse and so forth. When it comes to the happiness studies, women were happier at the late in the late 1950s and early 60s than they are now. And that's not like a, uh, somebody saying, oh, I think that's the case. You know, the, these are 80 year studies that have gone on on happiness that have every year surveyed people. We are less happy now and it isn't just women, it's everybody. So the first thing we can say, Jill, is whatever it is we got going out there, it's not working very well when it comes to just really the quality of our lives. So one thing that joins my readers together, whether they already are thinking about things that are in line with my book, like putting love in your life ahead of all other values that you embrace, um, the culture in general is hungry for another way to see things. And so I think that is the that is the milieu into which I'm writing. When it comes from my own perspective, I'm not writing as someone who's put everything together and has the right thing that you should do and oh please be like me. In fact, fall in love, have children, stay put, save the planet is a confession of a failure that looks back over his life and says, "Here's why I really screwed up. I thought that at the time this is what I wanted. I thought at the time I was right." In my case, for instance, just give you an example, being raised in an evangelical background where your Bible told you, or at least you were told your Bible told you that men are in charge, that women are supposed to believe us and also obey us even when we're wrong, because somehow in the natural order of things, males are supposed to be in charge. Women are supposed to be their helpmeet, whether it's daughters or wives, partners, whomever, 
that's the that's the dynamic and it's a poisonous one and it's a reason why in my book i have a whole chapter on why i'm a pretty ardent feminist in the sense that the best thing that ever happened to men is feminism if you look at the cultures where there's a more egalitarian approach to life for instance like finland where my daughter lived for 20 years with her Finnish husband or other Scandinavian countries, Iceland, Switzerland, even in Central Europe, you find that um, men live as long as women do. Statistically, that's it's completely 100%. The cultures that have more internalized and egalitarian relationship between men and women, men almost catch up to women on the actuarial tables. And we're not talking a month or two here. We're talking about a seven-year difference. In fact, a bigger predictor than smoking. Um, and that's really mind-blowing. Think about that. You know, when I look back over my own life, what I talk about in Fall in Love, Have Children, etc., is not, ooh, oh, here's all the right things I did. I'm so pleased with myself. If only you could discover these great truths I've discovered as if I'm some, you know, spiritual guru. It's the opposite. It's a confession of failure and a learning curve that has put me in a very different position at age 70 than I would have been, say, if you checked in with me at age 30 or 40. Um, there's been a learning curve. So the perspective I write from is not one of kind of toxic male hubris about, look, you know, follow me. It's no, actually, I mean, I'm, this will sound a little weird to you. It's follow what my wife did from the beginning and how she saved me from myself and what I learned from her because precisely, Jill, my wife, Jeannie, is exactly the kind of person that has put those in her life first. And eventually I was smart enough to learn and start to be more like her. One of the things I did was make sure she was in charge of everything that she's good at. I still did what I'm good at. And we really divided up our work between us, say with childcare in the last 13, 14 years that way. So we split that about 50-50. I do all the cooking and food shopping. I do the maintenance around the house. Jeannie's a financial wizard and does all our investment and retirement planning and estate planning. She's the one who buys the cars. I don't even know where the checkbook is. And this isn't some feministy reversal of roles where Jeannie was demanding some sort of autonomy. It was just me getting smart enough to be part of a marriage where after 52 years, we each know what we're really good at. So I mean, teamwork. Yeah, I'll give you a weird thing. I mean, Jeannie vacuums because she sees dust. I clean the kitchen because nothing gives her more pleasure than walking into a clean kitchen every morning. And what's better than than making your spouse happy? You know, mm-hmm. I, I do the cooking because I'm the better cook. Um, you know, we split the childcare between us, et cetera, et cetera. So I think when you really put falling in love and maintaining love ahead of other considerations, a lot of other problems don't go away, but you begin to see them in better perspective. And so how do you convince people who aren't there of that? You can just say, hey, how's it working out for you now with having accepted what I'll call corporate America's definition of success, which is all about greed and acquisition and consumerism and so forth ahead of all other considerations. It is not working out for people. There are a couple of things that were running through my mind when you were talking about this. And again, perspective, like you have a different perspective at your age now than what you did in your 30s. But I mean, I think we both can agree that once you're in it, when you're living those those lives, sometimes listening to someone with wonderful advice and wonderful experience ahead of you it just goes in one ear and out the other. Right. And that's, I think, the hard part is because sometimes you're thinking right now where you are in your life, this 
is what you should be doing. Mm. And um, I just think that that is so tricky. It's so hard. It's like, okay, how do I, I'm not just saying you, I'm saying all kinds of different things, but how do I sit here and evaluate what is happening with me right now? And I have this very wise man in front of me telling me all these different things and then put it to action. It, it's like you, you have to, but then you're scared to, and it just, Oh, I mean, obviously I would say, Oh, I guess this is a is a judgment, but when you're in your 20s, you're definitely like, uh, screw you, I don't really need, I, I'll do what I want to do. And then as you get older, you learn with experience, but I'm sure there are things I'm doing right now that in 20 years, I'm going to go, why, sure. why didn't you think about sure. that? Why didn't you listen? Well, I have a funny road into an answer to that question that may not be what you expect, but I think it's a good answer. I don't think the sermony bits of my book, such as they are, will convince anybody. I think stories and the stories of our lives shared honestly together are what change lives. And so fortunately, and if I may just say this, I'm a good writer and I've written novels that are very successful, like Portofino that's in nine languages and has been in print forever since it was published, whatever it was, 30, 40 years ago for one reason, and that is I'm a good storyteller. And about a third to half of this book is the stories of, and some of them are quite funny, of just being a grandfather, you know, kneeling on the cold ice, putting on yet another pair of skates and just how it all works out. And the funny things my grandchildren say and the touching things. I do not write Fall in Love, Have Children Stay Put, Save the Planet from the point of view of a sermon. I write it from the point of view of a bemused, struggling grandfather who's working on the childcare and getting through it and realizing it's so meaningful and so tiring at the same time and able to share the love by telling the stories of love. These are love stories. And within those love stories is some science to back them up. In other words, this isn't just one writer, Frank Schaefer, you know, being sentimental kind of Hallmark card uh, stuff. This is real. Love is real as a heart attack. There's a science to prove it, oxytocin and all the rest of it. But in the meantime, here's another story about Nora and what she said the other day. Um, and, you know, for instance, and this one's not in the book, but literally the other day, Nora had a little case of COVID. She's kept away from it. She's vaccinated and the whole bit, but they caught it at school. She was only sick for about a week and I brought her some roses. And I said to Nora, seven and a half, I handed them in at the door with my mask on and said, Nora, here's a dozen red roses. (laughs) And she took the roses, thanked me, went back inside. And I turned to walk back to my house because she lives up the street. And the door opens suddenly about, oh, 20 seconds later. And she yells after me, 10 roses, actually, 10 roses. Because I had said, here's a dozen red roses. You know, my big moment of here's your dozen red roses. No, Nora, there's no flies on Nora. She takes that roses into the house counts them, comes back out and calls after me, 10 roses, actually, 10 roses. Okay. Now a thing like that is not, you know, a big revelation about how to live your life, but there's a huge message in that. If I wasn't taking care of that grandchild and she wasn't my best friend and we didn't have that relationship, that moment would never exist. So it isn't trying to make people be like you or change their lives. It's to show people who haven't perhaps thought about this, that the good stuff is not some moral statement on family life. The good stuff is the shared stories. And it's the shared stories of being a grandparent, a parent, 
and a man who is is his wife's friend and lover. It's those stories. Well, those stories are when they happen to you, you get it. And then that's when you start to say, okay, this is what needs to happen. Yeah. I have one little statement that you talked about a little while ago that I wanted to bring up. And then I would love for you to tell the listener where to find the book. But you did mention about the happiness um, and individuals that are isolated or living alone. And like that is definitely not good for them. And the suicide rate just... Oh, the other day, a coworker, we were looking up some information and ended up down this rabbit hole, but it ended up showing um, the different percentages of the suicide rates. And it's just alarming. And in it, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be where it mm. is. So that is something that and I know you brought that up. I just wanted to just reiterate that, like, listen, mm. you don't need to be alone. You do not, you deserve so much and you can be happy and just please keep that in mind. I know this sounds more, you know, soppy, you know, like some sort of Hallmark card or whatever, but the truth of the matter isn't, and I'm being really serious. One thing I've learned and it really works and it's not just me. It's everyone. There have been huge, expensive, long-term psychological studies to show this. All right, clinical depression is a thing, and you can't do anything about it. And medication and counseling is what you need. But the kind of depression that all of us fall into sometimes that can border on clinical depression is just the sadness we face when we're alone or something sad happens or relationships fall apart. And the only way to dig yourself out of that that time and time again works is to say, okay, I'm going to do something for somebody else because psychologically we have, there have been studies that have found, for instance, that the joy we get by buying a new car, doing something we've always wanted to do for ourselves in the material realm of success, peters out very quickly. The joy lasts for about a week. Um, but helping somebody just give an example, you know, you're in a, you're in a shopping, you're in a, in a, in a store and somebody doesn't have money in front of you to pay for something. They've got a shopping cart half full and they, you know, maybe aren't dressed so well and they're fumbling around and they get their credit card rejected and you look, and, you know, whatever it may be, if you step in at that moment and buy their groceries for them, if you happen to have the money, or if you do something else for somebody, unlooked for, spontaneous and or planned, like visit someone, the joy from that lasts a very long time and does turn your mood around. So that what I've found in life is that it's very ironic. And that is when we're depressed, of course, we're thinking about ourselves and when we're lonely, even more so. And the only way out of that is to reach out and do something for someone else that is, that is, you know, cashes in, if you like, on the evolutionary truth of who we are. And that is that empathy is a survival tactic. And it's built in so strongly with us. And the release of oxytocin is so great when we feel love that when we trigger that by reaching out and doing something for someone, there is a path out of the kind of depression and we can help other people that way. You know, I'll never forget, I read a long study about depression and suicide in the New Yorker about 10 years ago that totally stuck with me. And they were telling stories from people who attempted suicide, who survived because of some fluke, 
And one guy who had actually jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge and was one of the few people who survived said, I walked, I walked toward the Golden Gate and down the path and went over the bridge. And I said, if one person stops me and smiles at me, anywhere between my house and jumping, I won't do it. And then nobody did. And he didn't make eye contact with anyone. So, you know, when we look at our own lives, the power we have to get ourselves out of depression and at the same time reach into another life, which may be no more than a smile or stopping when you're walking your dog and asking a neighbor who they are and then remembering the next time that their dad just had surgery and they were concerned and you tell them that you remember that. You know, these are not small things. This adds up to the fabric of a culture that works and where less people are depressed and sad. So that's the only thing I would add. I love that. All right, Frank, tell the listener where they can find your book and how they can find you and any parting words. Well, parting words for me is that I'm accessible and available. I do not hide. My own personal <laughs> email is just my name with a middle initial, Frank A. Schaefer at AOL.com. And I have a Gmail account, but I give out the one that I give to my family, which is Frank A. Schaefer at AOL.com if they want to contact me. I have a podcast in conversation with Frank Schaefer that is everywhere you find podcasts. And we have very interesting guests and we talk about things like this, like I have with Jill. And then my book is in bookstores everywhere, which probably means Amazon. Um, as you know, these days, bookstores have a hard time, but it really is in your local bookstore and it's online and you can order Fall in Love, Have Children, Stay Put, Say the Planet, Be Happy, wherever books are sold. And if you want to write to me and tell me you wrote, you read the book and you have a question, I will answer you. So thank you. Well, thank you for what you're doing and for providing the love. I can, like I said, just feel it right now. And I can't wait to see what happens in the future when, when you're writing with, with little zip in your robe and what comes out next. Well, Joe, you've been awfully sweet. Thank you for being my caregiver. As we wrap up this week's conversation, a reminder to check out one of the sponsors of the podcast, Blondin Real Estate. As you know, the market remains a little cray cray and you want to have the best team representing you, whether it's buying or selling. And that best team would be Blondin Real Estate. Another thing I just want to add, I mean, of course, they're the ones to go to when it comes to buying or selling your home or your property, whatever it may be. But they also offer lifestyle options as far as blog writing and having different tips on how to pack up your home or how to showcase your home to make it look awesome to sell or the things that you should fix if you're going to sell and the things that you should just wait on. So it's just, it's more about just buying and selling. It's about preparing yourself and getting ready on either of those things. You can learn more at blondinrealestate.com. And I'd like to thank you for your support of this podcast by visiting sponsors like Blondin Real Estate and by going to my social media pages or my website, jilldevine.com. It's showing support and sharing any of the episodes with anybody you know, that's also sharing support. So I appreciate anything that you are doing to get the word out about this podcast. It means so much to me. So thank you. 